0: Do you happen to have a friend who is a bit of a sports fanatic? You know, whenever their team wins, that's all you hear about for the next week, or the next month, or the next year. They dress up in their team colours, there's a flag hanging out their front window of their house, streamers off the car aerial, their Facebook page changes to the team photo. And look, I can put up with people like that, because most of the time it dies out after a few, da- few days. But sometimes there's a fan, like this fellow in the front row here, <laughs> who's still talking about the game years later. <laughs> do you know the kind of person who I mean? Maybe you are that person. I've got to admit, I'm not really into sport, but I do, ad- I do admire it when people are passionate about something like that. Isn't it great watching someone who's passionate about sport, about anything? Today, as we come to 1 Samuel 17, and we've already heard the Bible reading and seen the children's talk, we are thinking about a victory that we should be excited about. As we look at the victory of David, the Lord's anointed, over Goliath, we're going to be seeing how it looks forward to Jesus' victory on the cross, And we'll be seeing how that's not just a victory to get excited about on a Sunday morning or for a couple of days. That is a victory that should change the way that we live. Now, today's our third week in this little installment of 1 Samuel. And if we just recap over the last couple of weeks, in case you weren't here or your memory's not so sharp. We've seen David two weeks ago, the Lord's anointed, chosen by God to rescue his people. And remember, that word anointed is the same word as the Greek word Christ or the um, Hebrew word Messiah. You know how we have good morning in English, but then the French say bonjour and then the Germans say guten Morgen. Well, the English word is anointed. The Hebrew word which pops up in the Old Testament is Messiah. And the Greek word which pops up in the New Testament is Christ. But it's exactly the same word messiah christ anointed so what we saw two weeks ago is what we learn about david the anointed one the messiah the christ is getting us ready for jesus who will be anointed by the spirit at his baptism the christ the messiah so david was set aside as the anointed one the rescuer and last week we met goliath the enemy of god's people and he was terrifying And we left it last week, lined up on one side of the valley were the Philistines, the enemies of God's people, lined up on the other side of the valley were the Israelites, down in the middle was the in-between, no man's land, and out steps Goliath. And he's the man of the in-between on behalf of the Philistines who will fight a man from Israel. But there is no man from Israel to fight on behalf of the Israelites. Until David, the Lord's anointed, puts up his hand and said, don't be afraid, I will fight for you. That's where we left it last week. And if we see things as man sees, then the Israelites have every reason to be terrified because Goliath looks like an invincible giant. But if we see things as God sees, we will remember way back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 where God said, "It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered." Well, let's find out what happens. And we're going to look at today's passage in three sections. You can see them on your outline there. Firstly, the build-up before the battle, then the victory itself, and then what's it all about? So firstly, the build-up. Now this is like being down in the dressing room before the big game. David is all ready, but Saul is a bit worried because he thinks David doesn't have the right clothes on for the battle, verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Now, we as readers already know that this victory won't come about in the normal way. It is not by strength that one prevails. But Saul doesn't get that, does he? So picture this. Saul, who, remember, is a head taller than any of the other Israelites, so he's a bulky big guy, until Goliath came along, that is, but he's a big guy. David is this little shepherd boy, and Saul is putting his bulky armour on David. This is like when the kids get in the dress-up box, and they come out, and their shoes are five sizes too big, and the hat's falling over their head, and they're tripping over what they're trying to wear. You know the look? David must look ridiculous. He can't even walk around in this armour. And this picture there is just highlighting the fact that God's way of achieving things, God's way of bringing about His victory, is so unexpected. It's hard to accept. Saul kind of thinks it can't be this way, and so David takes it off. This is not God's way. This is a bit like when Jesus announced how, how He will bring about His victory. He says that He'll be crucified. And what does Peter say? No, Lord, surely not, Lord. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Or a little later on, Peter takes out his sword and tries to defend Jesus. They come to arrest him. And Jesus says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? David's victory, Jesus' victory, they won't be won with a sword or with armour. The victory of the Lord's anointed will be unexpected and it will be done in God's strength. Well, David takes off Saul's armour and with his shepherd's stick in one's hand and his sling in the other hand and some stones in his pouch, he marches out to meet Goliath. And Goliath takes one look at David and he thinks it is a joke. And he mocks David. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. Ruddy's kind of, you know, red-cheeked, youthy. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. See, Goliath looks and he does not see the Lord's anointed. Goliath sees a little boy, a nobody, and he mocks David and he curses him. Exactly the same way the leaders in Jesus' day looked at him. The same way they failed to recognise him as the Lord's Messiah. The same way they mocked him. The robe that they put on him. The crown of thorns on his head. Kneeling in front of him. Spitting on him. Taking a staff in their hand and hitting him on the head. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the anointed. See, these two anointeds, they're very similar. David looked so weak, Jesus looked so powerless. How could they rescue themselves, let alone anyone else? But God sees things differently. God has already promised that he will bring about his victory through his anointed. And so in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David announces to Goliath who Goliath is up against. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of Of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, this is a victory that will be won by God Himself, for Him, by Him, in His name. Now, that little phrase, I come against you in the name of the Lord, that's the first time that this phrase comes up in the Bible. If you remember back to what's happened so far in the Bible, God has raised up other saviours to rescue his people before. We've seen Noah, haven't we? And the flood rescuing his people. We've seen Moses rescue God's people from Pharaoh in the Exodus. But this is the first time that a saviour comes in the name of the Lord. What does that little phrase mean? It pops up again in Psalm 118 where it's talking about the victory of the Lord's anointed and it will not be used of any other saviours in the Bible until we reach the Gospels when Jesus marches into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds cry out in Matthew 21, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just like David came in the name of the Lord, Jesus will come in the name of the Lord to rescue God's people from their sin on behalf of God, in his name, for his honour and his glory. Yet again, 1 Samuel 17 is preparing us for the victory of Jesus. It's an unexpected victory. It will be done in God's strength. He comes in the name of the Lord. And as we read on in 1 Samuel, we find out some more things. It is a victory that will show that God is the God, not just of Israel, but it will show the nations that God is God. Look at verse 46. David says to Goliath, This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. See, win or lose... David is fighting on behalf of God's people. He wins, they win. He loses, they lose. But it's even bigger than that because David is fighting on behalf of the Lord. And if he wins, God wins, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is about God displaying his power. This is about God disarming his enemies. This is about God making a public spectacle of his enemies, triumphing over them. This is so that the nations will know that there is a God. There's a lot at stake in this battle between David and Goliath. And that's why we've got this massive build-up. It's so that when the victory comes about, we will know what it's all about. An unexpected victory done in God's strength in the name of the Lord, to rescue God's people so that the whole world will know there's a God. And the writer of 1 Samuel wants us to be very clear what this is all about. And it's no surprise when we come to the Gospels then, is it, that the Gospel writers want us to be just as clear on what Jesus' victory is about. And so even though Jesus' crucifixion is described just in one sentence... He was crucified there's a massive build-up chapters and chapters to make sure we know what's happening the gospel writers describe in detail jesus discussions with his disciples about how he will give his life as a ransom the gospel writers report jesus talking to the crowds and telling them that he came to seek and to save the lost In great detail, the gospel writers record the prophecy of the high priest who said, It is better that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. They describe in detail Jesus' last meal with his disciples, where he explains that his death will be a sacrifice to pay for the sin of his people. To rescue them from the wrong that they've done and the punishment they deserve. His blood will be for their forgiveness. His body will be broken. Chapters and chapters in the gospel, all there so that when Jesus does die, when Jesus brings about his victory, when he dies on the cross, there will be no doubt that he was the Lord's anointed. Bringing about an unexpected victory in the name of the Lord to rescue his people from their sin and not just his people all the nations but back to one samuel i went down to the rsl a few years ago and i watched a boxing match it's one thing to watch them on tv it's a very different thing in real life to see someone hit someone like that i had a friend fighting in it that's why i went along i went along to cheer him on and see how he went A few punches into the first round of the fight, they had to stop the fight and declare it a mismatch. One guy was obviously so much better than the other guy, it wasn't a fair fight. Thankfully, it was my friend who was the the better guy. So they cancelled the whole thing after 30 seconds and they put them in a second class to fight different opponents on another day. In 1 Samuel 17... It looks like David might be outclassed, but Goliath is outclassed. He's up against the Lord's anointed. He doesn't even realize it, but there's no stopping this battle after 30 seconds. Goliath doesn't even get a chance to draw his sword. Verse 48, it's over before it starts. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. It is exactly what God promised back in 1 Samuel 2, so long ago. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. And once their champion is dead, the Philistines run away. In verse 51, the Philistines turn and run in panic. And then in verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah chase them down. It is over. The battle is over. The enemy is gone. God's people are safe. It is finished. Although the chapter's not finished yet, is it? Have a look there. There's a little bit more to go. And it turns out to be a very odd ending. In these last few verses of 1 Samuel chapter 17, the writer jumps all over the place. He jumps forward in time. 20 or 30 years and then we have a flashback and then it returns to the present time and it's a bit hard to follow what's going on and you're thinking what's gone wrong here is he just sort of cut and pasted and thrown it all together verse 54 verse 54 David took the Philistines head and brought it to Jerusalem and he put the Philistines weapon in his own tent now that's especially strange it might be lost on us because we haven't read ahead but it wouldn't be lost on the original readers Goliath's head won't be taken to Jerusalem for another 20 or 30 years. In 2 Samuel 5, David, when he's king, captures Jerusalem. I'm not sure what happens in the 20 years. Does the head get dried out or preserved or put in a jar? We're not told. But Goliath's head will be carried around for another 20 years before it's taken to Jerusalem So why does the writer pop that information in here? The writer of 1 Samuel wants to connect God's people then living in safety in Jerusalem with David's victory here. Israel's future security is all because of David. And in the future he wants them to remember it's all about David. Then in verse 54, we're told that David puts Goliath's weapons in his tent. We're back to the present. Why mention that here? Who cares where Goliath's weapons go? Again, it's to show us that this is all about David. Because normally, the booty of the battle, especially the weapons of the defeated king, would go to Saul, the king. But here David gets the weapons. Even though he's not technically king yet because this is all about David. Then in verse 55, we're taken back in time to before David marched out to battle to fight Goliath, in verse 55, have a look at it there, when Saul asked, who's this young boy going out to fight? Because that's what this is all about. Who is this boy going out to fight? Who is he? And in verse 58... The last verse of the chapter, we come back to the present time and we get the answer. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. The one who was anointed back in chapter 16. This is all about David. And that's where the chapter ends. With all the threads forward, past, present being pulled together, this is all about David the Lord's anointed. And it's saying to Israel, when you remember back to this victory, don't get lost in all the excitement of the battle. Remember who it was that rescued you. And so the chapter closes by reminding Israel it's all about David. It's not hard for us to see the challenge and the encouragement in that for us, is it? As followers of Jesus... As we reflect on a victory and a rescue that was even more spectacular than 1 Samuel 17, let's make sure that we remember it's all about Jesus. Let's make sure that our rescuer stays centre stage. Because, sure, we benefit from his victory, don't we? And that's a great thing to remember. We have forgiveness, and we're God's children. And we have his spirit poured out on us. And we already start to experience the benefits of his victory over sin because we can now say no to sin. We're dead to the old way of life. And we have eternal life and we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Very exciting things to remember, but let's not forget who it is all about. It's all about Jesus. His victory spills over to us. But he remains at centre stage. So in the end, everything we do, our entire life, is lived for him. Because it's not about us. It is all about Jesus. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus, your son, who came into this world, was the Christ. Thank you that he was the one chosen before the creation of this world to rescue us. Father, thank you that the entire Old Testament all points forward to him all helps us anticipate the great victory that he would bring about. Father, thank you for the way even this um, victory of David over Goliath teaches us wonderful things about Jesus and his victory. But Father, most of all, we thank you for Jesus and who he is. Thank you that he's our saviour and our king. Thank you that he's the head of the church, his body. Thank you that he's the firstborn, the heir over this creation and the next. Father, we acknowledge that he is Lord and he is king. And we pray that our lives would be a reflection of that. And we pray all this for his honour and his glory in his name. Amen.